Um, and so we're just getting into this now, back to kind of verse by verse through a book of the Bible. And the reason that we do that is we can look at the whole Bible, put it in context of why it was written, um, and not skip over parts that you would normally want to skip over in God's Word, because there's some things that pastors like myself, I'd rather just skip over those things, uh, but it kind of forces you to teach everything, and so that's why uh, we do it. And so Colossians, if you have your Bible with you today, you can turn there or have the verses up on the screen. So Colossians, we got the first four books of the Bible, it's called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then comes, what's the next, anybody know what the next Acts, and then Romans, and then first and second Corinthians, not Chronicles. <laughs> and then, as someone taught me, after that, God eats popcorn. I don't know if God eats popcorn. That's sacrilege. I could say that. The G in God eats popcorn is G is Galatians, E is Ephesians, P is Philippians. And then C is Colossians. So, anyway. As my father-in-law would say, that and $5 will get you a drink at Starbucks. That's what it's worth, I guess. But anyway, if you're having a hard time finding it, there it is. Colossians. About halfway through uh, the New Testament. So I've titled this sermon, Stay in Your Lane. Stay in Your Lane. And I would say it's dangerous to drive in the wrong lane. As we found out, Amanda and I did this week, we had taken Kelsey, she had a medical procedure uh, done at uh, Cardinal Glenning, and it was a quick procedure, we were in and out, and she was wanting some soup, some chicken noodle soup, she had to go in and do a scope and check for some things that she's been getting treated for, and so she wanted some soup, so I looked up Panera Bread. I thought, oh, they'll have chicken noodle soup this early in the morning. We went to SLU because there was one in, like, the student union, dropped Amanda off. She came back, said they don't do soup this early. And so we were going to another Panera Bread just down the road, um, uh, Forest Park Road. And when I turned right to go down, I quickly realized I was on a one-way road going the wrong way. And there were cars coming at us. And Amanda's in the passenger seat. There's some intense fellowship going on, if you've ever had any intense fellowship in your relationship. Christianese for we are arguing. And I was saying, calm down, calm down. It's all right, it's all right. And she said, what do you mean it's all right? There's cars coming at us. I'm like, I pay taxes on both sides of the road. I could drive on both sides. It's okay. Everything's going to be all right. We survived. We're here. That's always my style. I, drive, I pay taxes on both sides of the road. It's all right. We were going the wrong way on a one-way road. We're going the same direction as the other traffic, right? We're, we're going the same direction, the same way. We're going to the same destination, but we're on the wrong road. There's, there's danger. There's danger in what we were doing, even though we were going in the right direction. This is the same thing with the world, right, when it, when it comes to God and truth. Like the whole world is, we're all moving in one direction. We're all 
circling around the, the sun. We're all moving in direction. We're all aging. We're all destined for eternity somewhere. We're all moving in the same direction, but sometimes I see in the world when it comes to truth and God that what people believe and what they're saying and teaching, it's they're going the wrong way in a one way, and there's danger. There's danger to that. So Colossians 1, we're going to be, like I said, going verse through verse today. It's Colossians 1, 1 through 8. And I want to give a little bit of a uh, disclaimer is um, I follow the Calvary Chapel guys, which is, have you seen the Jesus Revolution movie? Anyone watch that movie that's out there? And so that's the Calvary Chapel guys that kind of started, what was it, in the 60s or 70s, the hippie movement in California, and there was the big uh, Jesus Revolution, right? It was on Time Magazine, and it was a movement of God uh, back then. Well, anyway, they started Calvary Chapel, and there's Calvary Chapels all over, and a couple of the guys uh, that I follow, if you have like Blue Letter Bible, um, you'll have some of their commentary in there. Uh, like Skip Heidzik and David Guzik and, and those guys. Anyway, they're very expository, verse by verse. The pastor that's in that movie, it's kind of what he started. Um, it's not new to him, of course. But anyway, some of the historical and things that I'm going to tell you, preach to you about, teach you about, uh, kind of comes from their commentary. And so the historical part of that kind of comes from them. I try to make it my own. But some of this is taken from that. So I just want to put that disclaimer out there. If you're like listening to a sermon, that's what Gene said. Or are they stealing from Gene's sermon? No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I just want to put that out there. I usually don't like to do that, but um, in this case, it's important. So here in Colossians, I'm going to go ahead and read this, verse 1 through 8, and we're just going to circle back, and we're going to go, we're going to go through this. Uh, Colossians 1, this is the word of God. Paul, Apostle Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. This is funny. It was like C-O-L-O-S-S-A-E. I'm like, how do you pronounce that? You just take the, the A off. Colossae. Colossae. And that's the, what we say, if you don't know how to pronounce it, just say it real fast and everyone, oh, he's really smart. That's how you say that. But Colossae. That's how I say it. Colossae. But grace to you and peace from God our Father. Verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does amongst you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So here Paul, he is in a Roman prison. He is writing to a church in, called Colossae, the Colossians. And Paul is writing a letter. He doesn't just write a letter just because he's bored sitting in prison. He wrote a letter for a specific purpose to this church to tell them to stay in your lane. 
you're, you're wandering out of your lane, you're, you're in trouble, and I want to tell you why and where you're going wrong and the teachings that I'm seeing, that I'm hearing from your area and from your church. And what he tells them is he says, keep it about Christ. Keep it about the gospel. Keep it about Jesus Christ. Keep the main thing and the plain things, the main things and the plain things. It's not Jesus and something else. It's the gospel. It's all about Christ. That's what he's warning them about. And I want to ask you the question, do you, do you, do you understand as a, someone who's here visiting or a member of the church, um, I, I told you I've come from corporate America, and so I've been here, man and I moved here six years ago coming up this month, and I want to tell you how difficult it is. We're not a large like mega church, we're, we're normative size church at this point, but we're growing, thanks God, thanks be to God. But even at our size, how difficult it is to keep the church about the main and the plain thing, and that is Jesus. It's easy to, to get off onto other things, right? So why, so why Jesus wrote to the churches in Revelation, we have that account. It's why Paul writes the letters, it's like, keep things the main and the plain. Bring it back. Bring it back in, right? It's a sports analogy. Let's bring it in. Let's rein it in. Let's get back to who we are, like your first love, like Christ. We can get bogged down in preferences and styles and colors of carpet and adding works to the gospel never wanting to change, staying in our comfort level. We have to keep it about Jesus. We have to keep it about the will of God. God says do something. We have to do it. It's God. And if we don't, then we won't see fruit. Read on in verse 9 how Paul, how Paul prays. says, I'm praying about you for the will of God in your life. To keep it about Christ. Follow the will of God. As I mentioned, the Jesus revolution. The argument back then, are all these hippies, right, in California, and they're all becoming believers and all following Jesus. There's this revival, if you will, of people coming to know Jesus. The church, the religious people at the time, their argument about the people that were coming to Christ is they said, all they have is Jesus. They don't have buildings. They don't have this. They don't have this. They don't have theology. They don't have any of that. All they have is Jesus. Let's say, well, exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's probably why the movement was happening. Because all they had was Jesus. That's all that you need. I always say this. The enemy could care less if you go to church, if you give to the church, if you serve in the church. But the moment that you release the words Jesus out of your mouth, the enemy takes notice. He doesn't take notice going to church or giving or any of that stuff or serving. He only notices when you declare the truth in Christ alone. Jesus is the only way. Because that's what saves that's what changes eternity. 
here in verse 1 through 8. Again, Paul always has a purpose for each letter. Here it was to rebuke the false teachers, to tell the church that they had fallen asleep at the will. And you're probably like, all these car analogies, like last week, like, I wanted to do the Jesus take the will again, but I, I spared you again this week. But, but Paul says, like, you're, you're asleep at the will, going the wrong way. You got oncoming traffic coming your way. Here in verse 2, we see, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from our Father. You see, Colossae was a major trade route at that time. There was a lot of cultural differences. There were a lot of religious ideas and a lot of religious differences. And being that it was the hub of trade, it was a perfect place to start a church. But there were also all these ideas and understandings. It was kind of a melting pot, if you will. Kind of sounds like today in the country that we live or in the neighborhoods and communities that we live in. It's one of the reasons that I picked this book specifically to work through because we can relate. This really speaks to our culture a lot and the things that we uh, hear and listen to and, and talk to. The church here was not like other churches that we read about. The letters to other churches or the churches that were started at the time. And the difference is, is that Paul did not start this church. Paul was like a prolific church planter. He was going all over the place and starting these churches. And he loved the churches. He would write back to the churches. He wanted to go back and visit the churches. But the difference in this specific church, Colossae, is that Paul did not start it. Paul had actually never been there. When he wrote this letter, again, he was imprisoned in Rome. But 80 miles away was a place called Ephesus. Ephesus. Paul was in Ephesus for two years teaching and preaching the gospel. Around 80, 52 to 55, somewhere around there. This letter was probably written around 60, 65, 80. The letter was written. But during that time in Ephesus, Philemon, right, one of the little short books of the Bible, Philemon later in the New Testament, a guy named Philemon. And then in verse 7, we were introduced to a guy, if you go back to that, just as you learned it from Epaphras. Just as you learned about the gospel of Jesus from Epaphras, as Paul is laying out. Well, Epaphras and Philemon had heard about the gospel from Paul in Ephesus. They were there spending time, and there's a lot of more history with Philemon and Epaphras with, with Paul. We don't have time to get into that. But what happened is, is they heard the gospel from Paul, and they went back, and they started sharing the gospel, and they started the church there in Colossae. Started the church. So you don't have to be an apostle you don't have to be finished seminary to start a church and share the gospel. In verse 2, something else I want to point out. To the, Christ and faith, to, the, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. And so here Paul is writing to the believers. And last week we looked at 
in Christ. Like, we have all of these benefits. We can call God our Father. We can call Him Abba. It's a relationship, a personal relationship. We can call Him Abba because we are in Christ. Those that put their faith and trust in Jesus are in Christ. We saw that in Romans chapter 7, right, last week, where it says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, that Christ, so thanks be to God through Jesus, through Jesus, so if we are in Christ, the through means that Jesus stands between us and God, like the, the judgment of God that we deserve, that Jesus through him, he stands between us and God, the judgment of God, that, Christ, that God sees us as he sees Christ. So he's saying to those believers here that are in, in Christ, it's our, it's our standing with God, it's our position as if we are in Christ. But even if we are in Christ, there is false teaching that can creep in. We need to be on our guard. And that's why Paul is writing to them. They say a lot of times that the Bible is not written to you, but it's written for you. It's written for you as well. Most say that this false teaching was a form of Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Gnostic means to know, to be in the know. Where agnostic is to say, I I don't know. But Gnosticism was taking this mysticism and Jewish legalism and throwing it all into a pot and stirring it up and saying, this is, we've been enlightened and this is what we believe to be true. And they were presenting this as Gnostic to say, this is what I believe and this is what is to be true. And that's what Paul is warning them against. They're saying that there's more to just Christ, more than to just to the gospel. There's this legalism and mysticism that's going on. And Paul's warning them to combat these things. The other thing is that they were coming across as holier than thou. Like I've taken all these different ideas, thrown them into a pot, stirred it up. This is what I believe. You should believe it. And if you don't, I'm going to look down my nose at you. Because I'm perfect and you're not. Charles Spurgeon told a story. Someone came up to him and told him, well, I'm perfect. I don't need God. I'm completely perfect. And he said, okay, all right. So he takes a bucket of cold water and dumps it on his head when he wasn't looking. And the guy starts cursing and screaming, and he's upset. And he goes, aha, I didn't think you were perfect. None of us are perfect. But these things sound like our culture. You combine all these religious stuff and cultural ideas and you mix it all together. This is what I believe. I could take these things and mix them all up. And this is what I believe. And this is why God's going to make me happy. And this is why I'm a good person. If you don't believe that, there's something wrong with you. Does this sound a little bit like our culture? And I hope I don't offend someone here. But, but I want you to know truth, and it's the same thing that Paul is warning the church. And I hear it in our culture, in our community. And I think there's a, there's a warning to say they're, they're going in the same direction as us, but they're heading into oncoming traffic. There's danger in, in what I'm hearing and what I hear people saying throughout all of our country and culture. That Christians 
claim to be Christians but dabble in other religious ideas, all roads lead to God, dress up Christianity to make it more appealing, combining other religious stuff into one big pot and stirring it up and say, this is what I believe, now you have to believe that. If you don't, then there's something wrong with you. Versus the basic, simple truth of the gospel of Jesus. And I think, like, I could be wrong, but I think a lot of people do that. They, they pick and choose what they want out of culture and out of religions and throw it together because it ultimately benefits them. Instead of Christianity, when we die to self, and we pick up our cross, and we follow Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. The only way to the Father is through me. That's it. That's it. There, there is nothing else. And, and you wonder why the gospel, the Bible says the gospel is offensive. That's why it's offensive. Because we want to add things to it or we want to take out things to benefit us. And to say it's no, it's the simple truth of the gospel. It's all about Jesus. Like He finished it. He done it. He completed it. We are in Christ. There's nothing left to do. It's simple. We want to add things and take things away. And when we proclaim Christ, it offends people. We see that at the end of the book of Revelation. It's talking about that specific book, but it says, don't take anything away. Don't add anything to this. There's a warning against it. And that's what the the Gnostics were doing here at this time. It's offensive. And at times you may wonder, why don't I address politics? Or why don't I address a lot of the cultural things? And I wouldn't mind having those conversations to, off to the side at some point if, if you really want to know what I, how I see those biblically. But I focus on the gospel of Jesus. We need to be reminded. I need to be reminded of that daily. And a lot of the problems that we have, I heard someone say this, a lot of the problems that we have as a country, it's not the things that we see It's just a symptom of what we see. It's really a heart issue. It's really a heart issue of not knowing the gospel of Jesus. I would encourage you to have friends of believers, unbelievers, different religions. I know I do. Love everyone as you love yourself. Love them as you love your neighbor. But if you have a Christian friend that you depend upon to be a good Christian friend, and all they want to talk about is politics all the time, or all they want to talk about is cultural things. Like, it's okay to talk about those things. Like, I talk about those things. But that's all they talk about. They never point you to the gospel. Never encourage you in the gospel. That's what we're supposed to do, encourage one another. To point us and remind us of it's Christ has finished it. It is done. There's nothing you can do to change that that God loves you. 
that's what changes us from the inside out. You may find another friend if you need encouragement. I need people to remind me of that. If you don't mention Jesus, if you don't mention Jesus, like it's, doesn't, it's not part of who you are as a Christian, or you add stuff to or take things out. Like the, again, the enemy doesn't take notice. Doesn't take notice. Verse 4 through 5. You say, man, he's only at verse 4? How long have we got here? We'll be, it goes pretty fast from here. Verse 4 through 5. There's three things. Um, the commentary that I read, I was mentioning, pointed out these things. And, and I, I noticed these things when I was reading through them as well. But I want to see if you pick up on it. I'm going, to re- I'm going to actually read verse 3. Here's Paul. He says, We always thank God. So he's giving God thanks. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith, there it is, faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints, the love, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before the word of the truth, the gospel. So what's, so what's going on here? What is, what is Paul saying? So here he is in a, a jail cell in Rome. And he's thinking about this church. And the first thing he does is I say, he says, I thank God for these things that you have. First one being faith. I thank God for you, church, at Colossae, for your faith in Christ Jesus. I thank God for you. I thank God for my faith in Christ. I don't know. How lucky am I? It's a gift. I talked to a man this week and said, what is it? What, is it, what does it take to be right with God? Like, what does it take to go to heaven? Like, what do you need to do? And kind of talked around a little bit, and then he said, oh, it's, well, faith. Well, faith, of course. I said, okay, faith, great. But faith in what? Or, or faith in whom? What, 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 what kind of faith do you need? And he kind of, we talked around a little bit, and finally he said, well, Jesus. I said, yes, bingo. Faith in Christ alone. Faith in Christ I heard this definition of what is faith. It was three parts. It said, first one is mind, your mind that I believe and I understand truth, understand the gospel. Maybe John 3, 16 or something like that. For God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Truth. I believe that in my mind. And then heart, I'm convicted by it. I'm convicted by that truth. A lot of that conviction is I'm a sinner I need to be right with God, and the only way through that is Jesus. Like, I'm convicted. And then the third part of that is will, your will. Like, God has a will for us. We have a will to commit to what you know. So a head knowledge, a heart knowledge, and then a will to commit to what you know. A missionary, uh, we used to be friends. There was a lot of the... 
uh, Ethos 360 missionaries that would come to our old church who were at a training facility at the Lake of the Ozarks, and they were learning how to go into unreached people groups. The language had never been written. They were being trained in how to understand new language and then live with those unreached people groups for years, gaining trust. And then they would write the, the language, and then they would write the Bible, and they would begin in the beginning, Genesis 1. In the beginning was God, and they would go through the Bible with these unreached people groups. Well, I heard of an unreached people group Christian missionary who was there, and he was trying to come up with a definition for trust, which believing, put your faith, believing, trust, we'll kind of group that all together. And here's the definition that he came up with. He said, lean your whole self on Jesus. Don't you like that? Faith, believing, trusting, leaning your whole self on Jesus. That is faith. You say, well, how would you know if you have faith? And I would never judge and never determine, that's between you and God, if you have faith in, in Jesus or not. But one of the way, one of the fruits that you may know, John 13, 35 says this, by, you, by this you will know that they are my disciples. Anyone know? By the love that they have for one another. Do you have love for other people? That's hard to do is love other people, especially outside of your immediate family. To love other people unconditionally, like love them as you love your neighbor, as Jesus talked about. And so God, or here, Paul is thanking the church, thanking God for the church. The second thing is their faith, and the second one is the love that they have for their fellow saints. So faith, he's thanking, them for their, thanking God for their faith. And for their love that they have for one another. And the last one is he's thanking God for the hope that they have. And specifically, he's thanking them for the hope that they have in heaven, in eternal life. And he's actually saying that from their hope, if you go back and read it, from their hope sprung the love that they have and the faith that they have. So it's, it's okay for us to set our minds on heaven. Like that's where we're spending eternity. It's okay to study it. It's okay to be excited about it. Like spending eternity with God in heaven. I mean, imagine what he created here on earth, some of the beauty that I see. Imagine what he's created for us as eternity. Like these are things we can get excited about. We can have hope. Hope for these things. This world is just fleeting. It's like a vapor. It's gone. We have hope in Christ. And we have hope in a future it all goes back to the gospel. So for the application for today, I want to ask you this. Are you staying in your lane? It's all about the gospel of Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody goes to the Father except through Him. Is that your focus as a Christian? And if you don't have the faith, hope, and love, ask God to give it to you. He's our Heavenly Father. He wants us to have the desires of our heart. Ask Him. And then the second last question I ask, are we as a church staying in our lane? Are we making everything we do about Christ? 
It's all about him. There is no other way. I ask you to hold me accountable to that. You have permission to do that. If you are in Christ, or if that is something that you are uncertain about, I would ask, one, don't take anything away or add anything to Christ Jesus. If you look through the Bible, I know in, I think it's Romans 8, there's a debate going back and forth about theologians, about there is a a sentence about it is about Christ alone, and there's like a comma, and the sentence continues, and they're saying, no, 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 there is a period at the end of that. And everywhere else you look in the New Testament, when it says it's about Christ alone, there's a period at the end of Jesus. There's no comma, there's no hyphen, there's no continuation, there's none of that stuff. It, It ends right there, that it's all about Christ. And so I want to encourage you today that if you've never put your faith and trust, you've never leaned fully on Christ for your salvation, for you to be right with God, to stand between you and God, to not receive the judgment that we deserve, to have a relationship where we can call God Abba, our Father, and that our standing and our love that God has for us is based on Christ alone. Nothing that we ever do or could do could change that. If you want that relationship, all you got to do is ask him. Say, I I believe. That's all it takes. He is enough. And I want to challenge all the Christians that are here today that you are an image bearer of God, that you are an image bearer of Christ. And as an image bearer, we want to look and teach, and to let people know it's all about him. That's it. All about him. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, thank you for the Holy Spirit-inspired writing of Paul to the Colossians to remind us that it is all about the gospel. And there are times that we begin to doubt that. There are times that other things creep in. There are other times that we want to take out your truth. Lord, the enemy does not care if we add to or take away and we don't declare the name of Christ. That changes nothing. It changes no one's eternity. Only the power of your son's name, Jesus, has the power to change our eternity. His life, his death, his resurrection, his sacrifice on the cross, his blood, him defeating death. That is the only thing that changes eternity. Lord, help us to remind us, help remind us of that. Give us faith, give us love, give us hope, give us joy. Help us to be an image bearer of your son, Jesus. Help us to be more like Jesus every day. 
Help us to remind and encourage one another. And Jesus, when he cried out to tell us, die, it is finished, it was finished. There was nothing left to do. Help us to die to self. Lord, we want to add things in and take things out so that we feel like we're doing something to earn your love and your trust. Lord, help us to remind us you love us no matter what. And when we understand that and we love you back and we spend time with you and your word and prayer and serving you, that, Lord, you change us. You make us more like Christ. You produce fruit in us. Lord, help us to know your will in our lives. Help us to rest in you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.